right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time that. Right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Anything going on this weekend? With Adam Dravet, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, KLWN.com, the KLWN app. We're going to be joined by Landon Lucas of Landon Lucas fame, but also the uh, Glue Guys podcast. He'll join us at 340. Brian Haney. Voice of the Jayhawks at the top of the did, five o'clock hour. Did he come up with the name of that podcast? Because that's the perfect podcast. I think he name did. It him. really is. Like that is the perfect podcast name for Landon Lucas. So KU Kentucky, and there have been some fun ones, including uh, several featuring Landon Lucas, which we'll ask him about. Um, the ones that he was a part of. He was a part of the 2014-15 game, the the famous the, vodka the, game. The vodka right? game. There was the 2016 game in Allen Fieldhouse where they introduced the rules of basketball, and that was against Jamal Murray and Tyler Eulis. They won in overtime. That was yeah. Um, and, and honestly, they KU's missed free throws is why it went to overtime. Yeah, but and that was a game where KU used one of the quote unquote junk defenses. I believe. I think they played a triangle in two with the two being on Murray and Eulis down the stretch of that game, and then the uh, last one. Uh, with Landon Lucas, 2017. That that was my favorite from the series. Going into Rupp Arena, yep. They, they get behind early. And jo- and then, what, didn't Josh Jackson have a huge part of that threes. game? Yeah, he had 20 points. Frank Mason had 21, and KU just clawed back. They came from behind. Landon Lucas, and they kind of won comfortably, didn't they? Like it, they, I feel yeah. like with like a it, minute left, not like comfortably, and like they were up 20, right? But I feel like with about a minute it was like or over two, with a minute, minute, like and a half. minute, yeah. a minute and a half left, we could kind of sit back in that game. Yes, and that was a Kentucky team with De'Aaron Fox, who's like a really good NBA point guard, uh, Malik Monk, who's a solid NBA player, and Bam Adebayo, who is like All Star NBA player, multi time All Star. And Landon Lucas went up against him. He had 13 points with six of six from the field, held Bam Adebayo to three of seven. So I'm interested in, in hearing his take because. You know, that's, I don't know, a little similar to this game. Like, maybe David McCormick being under uh, appreciated a little bit. And, you know, you have Oscar Shibway, this National Player of the Year candidate. Wouldn't that be something for David McCormick to come into this game? And, and that's what's interesting. We're going to share the Bill Self press conference a little bit later. Now, I, I don't totally know who's all playing, who's not for, for Kentucky. Uh, John Calipari said it at media availability for Kentucky today. Ty Ty Washington, Jacob Toppin. Uh, Damon Collins didn't practice on Thursday, so I don't, I don't know if they're going to play, but we talked to Matt Jones yesterday, and he says, I, I think Ty Ty Washington's going to play, but it's obviously not a certainty. Certainly those could play big, especially because also Matt Jones said Jacob Toppin would probably be their best option to try to defend Ochag Baji. But nonetheless, this game has outstanding matchups. When you think of Severe Wheeler and whoever KU has a point guard, whether it's Dewan Harris or Remy Martin, I mean, Severe Wheeler is so fast, can't really shoot, but he does everything else very well. Uh, Ty Ty Washington is more of a, a point guard, but 
KU is going to be playing Ochag Baji at the two. Ty Ty Washington, projected lottery pick. Ochag Baji, projected lottery pick. Yeah. Again, kind of different positions, but they're going to be playing the same spot. And it, it sounded like at the press conference, Bill Self was saying Ochai is going to be guarding Ty Ty Washington. So talk about having a big hand on both ends of the court for KU. And then you have that, that big man spot with Dave and um, Oscar Shibwe. But I also, like in the same way that I'm worried about how, how KU handles the really fast and attacking and good backcourt of Kentucky, and I'm worried about how KU handles Oscar Shibwe with whoever their fives are. I think you could also say, if you're Kentucky, like how are we defending Ochag Baji? And if we're Kentucky, I think also a good matchup nightmare guy in this game is going to be Jalen Wilson. Oh, yeah, I, I thought you were going to say Christian Brown. But I, I guess Christian Brown, I think, more of as, as an X factor than a matchup problem because he's not as there with the scoring um, and we've that we've rehashed that many times. Yeah, Jalen Wilson is a very interesting thought, and, and he could be very difficult to guard, especially if he's hitting threes. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know what will be very difficult is he may play a big role in whether or not Shibway hits his typical rebound total. And we, we kind of um, I we kind of brushed on that on on Wednesday. Um, I was dead yesterday, and um, <laughs> I uh, but we touched on that Wednesday that that Wilson and McCormick it might be a dueling effort in, as far as rebounds go. McCormick's going to be guarding him all by himself unless Bill Self is was forced to resort to one of those as he as you pointed out as he likes to call junk defenses. Um, but yeah, yeah, that that could be, and and I I think he could be a very big factor in this game. Uh, that Jalen Wilson, if he only scores thirteen or fifteen points, but if he comes, to, which would don't get me wrong, that would be a lot for him. But he's also shown an ability to score in the twenties. But if he comes away with a double double, that's that's huge, and he could very well do it. And I think it'll it, the the part will be most difficult. I think for Kentucky is to keep a month off the glass. Because they've got Shibwe, who's a freak, but I don't know that they have it. But Shibwe will you know, will be battling McCormick for those rebounds. I don't know that they have another guy to keep Jalen Wilson off the glass. Yeah. Um, the thing is with Oscar Shibwe, he is just such a one-man wrecking crew. I mean, he's so good. He is so good, and he, he stays on the court a long period of time. He's he good is, at avoiding fouls. He is the mag... Like, if not only is he the, the most ideal John Calipari player... He's the best version of the most ideal John Calipari player. Like he's he he does exactly and he's built exactly like a Calipari star would you would he would want. Um and then he's also like if you know Madden NFL ratings, like he would be a ninety nine mm-hmm. of that type of player. He's just perfect. He was it's like he was designed by Calipari perfectly. Or John Calipari and Bob Huggins are buddies and he was like, listen, Get this guy rolling for me for three years, and then I'm going to have him come to Kentucky. <laughs> I almost view that as like, and Huggy was definitely like, not. Huggy was like, all right, Bob Huggins is I like, you, I got you, bud. Yeah, that was a kind of a whole ordeal uh, how that went down. Um, they are number one as a team, but it's basically just because of of Oscar Shibway in offensive rebound rate. They're 14th or, or 11th, excuse me, in defensive rebound rate. Dave is actually one spot ahead of Oscar Shibwe individually in offensive rebound rate. So you can say we can go toe-to-toe there, but the difference is Shibwe is also like the best defensive rebounder. Dave kind of struggles a little bit more as a defensive rebounder. So that's a little scary. And like you said, that's where you need Jalen Wilson to come in. That's mm-hmm. where you need Christian Brown to come in and, and make these rebounds. And, and I, I, I'm also worried about, too, like when Dave's not on the court, who are you going to go with? Who's going to be that best matchup? Can you – that's the thing. You're not going to shut down Oscar Shibwe. 
can you just limit him? Can you avoid him from having a 25-20 and 20 game? And, well, you know one decent way to prevent another player from getting off or defensive rebounds, right? Uh, make, I don't know if they make shots. Make shots, yeah. exactly. I mean, if KU makes shots, mm-hmm. uh, which, look, easier said than done. Kentucky's a very good defensive team. Um, as much as Bill Self gets talked about as a defensive coach, which he is, John Calipari coaches some good defense, which is funny because both of these teams are top five in offense, and, and I would say their coaches would say not where they would want to be in, in defense. But both Cal and, and Self, they come from the Larry Brown discipleship, and so they're both very big on defense. Um, and But it is um, – if, if the Jayhawks make shots, that helps in mitigating – um, what Shibway can do on the boards. Mm-hmm. But I also think, you know, you also kind of have to, that in turn, that makes every offensive possession that much more important because you really can't count on getting a second because you, you're not going to get very many offensive rebounds. No, you're not. And Kentucky is just pretty good at everything. They uh, KU is number three in offensive efficiency. Kentucky is number four. And where Kentucky is... um. A little more rounded defensively than KU. KU's had some struggles on the defensive end of the court. Kentucky has been pretty solid there. Really, the only thing that Kentucky doesn't do, at least like solidly on the defensive end, is actually something that this will be nice to hear, especially compared to all the Big 12 teams KU's been playing. They don't force turnovers. They don't force a lot. They don't get steals. Yeah, right. The, every team KU has been playing. So that is a very good sign what for is, KU. Uh, on, as, uh, I know the rankings are... are it's like 25, I think, Kentucky is in defensive efficiency, yes. and KU's 48th or 49th. Mm-hmm. What's their actual, what's the number difference? Because we talked Wednesday about how the difference between like 11 and 20 is almost equal to the difference between 20 and 50. Yes, yeah, so these teams are very even overall. Um, the, the difference in, in points per 100 possessions adjusted to your opponent um, is basically 2.2 points. And on okay. offense, it's about two points. Okay, so, this is so, a very close game. So yeah, that's golly. This I tell you what, man. I'm almost. I don't I, like KU could very well lose this game, but overall, I just feel so stoked about it because it's kind of like, like you know, a game that we're you know in in KU lore that we'll always go back to is the 2012 Missouri game. The thing about that game is it was a Big 12 opponent, and it was a Big 12 opponent who was gunning for your streak. This game, it we might be you know. We might be talking about it come, you know, the the week preceding Selection Sunday when we're talking about a seed. But in general, man, this game, it just, like, if it's just a really fun game but the Jayhawks come up on the short end, like the Chiefs, if the Chiefs had come up on the short end of the great game that was their game against Buffalo, we'd be like, oh, that really is not, you know, that kind of, you know, we'd be upset. Um, If the Jayhawks come up on the short end of a really great game tomorrow, it's not going to be that. It'll be like, well, I hate Kentucky, and in, in, in you know from a rivalry sense, and we really want to get after them in, in terms of that all time wins. But it's kind of this game doesn't matter that much in, no, in a no. lot of ways. The Baylor game next Saturday like it's has much has more bigger. importance, right? But it's still you know it's a big deal. It's fun. You want to win the game. Oh, you want? I just look. It's it's a top ten matchup. Or yeah. no, Kentucky's not. Well, top. they're twelfth in AP, but it's top ten in Ken Palm. Ken like Palm, I yeah. think they're one of the ten best teams. So, I I would agree. You know they they just. What I'm worried about here, Kentucky just seems to be more balanced from my end. I'm worried that KU's lack of defense is going to lead to Ty Ty Washington and Severe Wheeler penetrating and finding big openings in the paint that lead to kickouts. Kellen Grady, Davion Mintz are knockdown three-point shooters on the outside. And then 
on some occasions when they miss. Oscar Sheboy is still going to grab the rebound. I, I think this is a game that I'm really worried about the KU defense. I'm worried about that lead guard play not being as good as Kentucky's. But at the end of the day, you know, Ochag Baji could just come out, be superhero mode, and mm-hmm. Jalen Wilson could do what he did against Kentucky last year. And if you get good Dave and you get good Demi or, or Dewan and, and you get good Remy Martin, then I think you're feeling good. I just honestly I kind of lean in Kentucky in this one. I'll say this. There's 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 another name you're forgetting that, that played, depending on who you ask, if people believe in such things. Another name you're forgetting that I think played a huge role in like the comeback over West Virginia, the game on Saturday or on Monday against Texas Tech. A name you're forgetting. It's going to sound really corny, but a name you're forgetting is Fog, because that freaking <laughs> that freaking building does things to yeah, teams, does. dude. That building does things to teams, and so that you know, I I just I there's something we've just seen so much weird crap happen in favor of KU at that building. That you can't say it, you know, it's not relevant. Um, but it, I don't know. I'm just excited. I, I, at this moment, I'm probably leaning Kentucky as well. But I'm just so excited about this game, it, and it's just easy. It's going to be easy to enjoy, honestly, because it really isn't going to be, in the grand scheme of things, KU can still lose this game and accomplish everything they want to accomplish this year. What's your favorite game or memory from this series? I, I'm sure for a lot of maybe the older fans, it might be the putting up the 150 on them. Yeah, um, I was, like I, was, I said, for me, it was the 2017 game. What's yours? I was a baby boy then, so I don't really remember it. Um, probably my biggest memory was um, 05. Now, this that KU team didn't. That was the team that sadly lost to Bucknell, so they actually didn't do well in the tournament. Um, but KU was number two in the country. They had, in a stretch of three games, they hosted number nine, Georgia Tech, and then they went to number eight, Kentucky. And it was just a really fun defensive back-and-forth game. Um, KU was undefeated at the time, and they came away with a 65-59 to win. But it, it was a six-point win, but it, that, it, it was closer than even that. It was a really, really, really good game uh, and, and so much fun. And it was one of those where... You know, it reminded me that the Kentucky KU through that throughout Bill Self's tenure here has reminded me a lot of Roy Williams and Arizona. Arizona and, and KU played not just in the tournament; they played each other a lot in the regular season. They really liked scheduling one another. Um, and and Kentucky, even when Tubby Smith was there, Roy, uh, Bill Self would would schedule Kentucky. That was the most exciting one, but then the game that the the Kentucky beatdown that I think everybody my age will remember was Brandon Rush, Mario Chalmers. Those guys they were they were freshmen, and so that group of Darnell Jackson, Sasha Khan, they were sophomores. Um, uh, Russell Robinson, of course, that that group they were sophomores. Uh, KU was really struggled to start off the year. They started like three and four. They started the year unranked. It just was a was a difficult time. Um, people were questioning self because you know they lost to Bucknell the year before. Then they were sitting there unranked. At one point, had a losing record. Kentucky came in ranked 20, 20th or twenty first, and came into Allen Fieldhouse. And I remember I was at I had a thing for school, so I wasn't able to watch that game live. But that was when you could avoid. It was much easier to avoid results. I just texted a couple friends. I said, don't text me anything about the game. I've got a recording. So I watched the recording, and KU just obliterated them. It was like 22-8 to 8 at one point. It gets to halftime, and KU's winning by so much. I called the friend who had recorded the game, and I go, it's at halftime. This score is da-da-da-da-da. 
And she's like, yeah, but I'm not going to tell you what happens. You told me not to tell you. I'm like, okay. And then I watched, and it was like, I think 73-47 or something like that. Was the, I mean, KU just obliterate. And that was kind of a moment where that group of players could see, look, this is what we're capable of. Um, and then they would they would have a couple more difficulties after that and then go on and finish the year strong and wind up as a four seed, win the Big 12 tournament. That game was pretty fun. Okay, so that's KU Kentucky. We'll have more of that talk throughout the show. I do want to talk a little Chiefs-Bengals here in the open AFC Championship game on Sunday. You can hear it here on KLWN as you can hear the KU game tomorrow on KLWN with that one pregame 3.30, tip-off 5 for the Chiefs game. Pregame starts at 1 o'clock again here on KLWN. And I think the biggest thing for me is is the challenge of this game doesn't just go into can you be better than the Bengals? Can you beat them? Can you overcome losing to them last time? It's trying to get past the emotions and, and the highs of last week and getting back up. I, I know it is the AFC Championship, and, and your immediate thought would be, of course they'll be able to get back up. It's the AFC freaking championship game. You're playing at home in front of a sold-out you know, sometimes it can just be whether it's something in preparation or just subconsciously. It's just sometimes hard to get back up. I mean, there are plenty of examples of teams who won incredible games or against mm-hmm. incredible teams, and it seems like now the path is cleared for them. Now they're going to stroll to the title, and it just doesn't happen. 2015 Wisconsin, they beat that undefeated Kentucky yeah. team, lost in the next game. 2018 Minnesota had the Minneapolis Miracle. Felt like they were a team of destiny. Got crushed in that as NFC favorites, Championship game. As favorites. Yeah. Uh, 2021, LA Dodgers. They beat the Giants, the two best records in the MLB. They beat them in this crazy game five in the NLDS. Then they just lose in like five games to the yeah. Atlanta Braves the next series. And there, there's plenty of other examples that you can think of that you can pull away. Um, heck, I could go with the, the Kansas team in 2017. They they had the largest margin of victory through the first three games of the NCAA tournament. Crushed Purdue and then they lay a stinker against Oregon. Um, sometimes it just, there can be like a letdown, and in a do-or-die, you know, you're out with one loss scenario. That is honestly my biggest worry, and I, and I don't know what to do with it because it's not something we really can contextualize. You know, I can't, yeah, I can't, can't sit here and say that. they're averaging 8.4 letdowns per drive. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Like, you just can't. You can't quantify that. I'll say this, and, and we talked about this, and 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 both any of our listeners should know now that Derek and I both kind of um, get a little nervous and neurotic about our teams, especially when it comes to playoffs. Um, but I, I said this: if you want to be if you want to be optimistic, you can say, "Man, they have such a momentum high from the way they beat Buffalo." And look, you can pull, and I know you 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 know you know this, but I understand the point you were trying to make just now. But you, you can also pull examples of teams winning incredibly emotional games and it driving them even for, you know, the Royals in the, that wild card game in 14, they didn't lose a game in the AL playoffs after that crazy comeback. So there are games that go the other way. Um, but I do understand the point you were making, and there is reason to worry that this could let down. It's just one of those things. If, if, if you want to look at things you can't quite, quite quantify, you could say, well, that win against Buffalo is going to give them a heap of momentum coming forward. Or you, it's also very valid to worry. Uh, again, you can't quantify it. Yes, but that win took up so much energy against Buffalo. Now they, there could be a letdown. Um, I, I just come back to, look, I, for whatever reason, I, I, keep, I keep waffling on how I feel about this game. But I have said before, if, if you take the Chiefs factor out of it, um, I... My worry would be, look, 
how can I, if you take the Chiefs factor out of this, I would just look at the home team and be like, well, they're, they've got the better quarterback and better coach. They're going to win. Um, but again, and they also had the better record. Yeah, and they also had the better record, and they're at home. And, and, but then again, I, there's also, but there is the part of me that like that doesn't always hold up, and I'm always, always so damn nervous about my teams, and especially in the playoffs. Um, I don't know. It, it'll be. I go back to, but I said this before the Bills game. It's so hard to go to three straight Super Bowls, man. And right now, all the Chiefs know, need to do is win one more game to accomplish that. And it's like we talked about. You know, it's it's hard for roulette to go black five times in a row. But if you're on the fourth spin, the odds are the same as any yeah. other spin. Exactly. Exactly. So that's a good point. I, I think what else adds to it, you said better quarterback, better coach, or the home team. I mean, a lot of times we also talk about, like, who's the better team in the trenches? And, you know, for, for a lot of games, like in the playoffs, maybe it's just like even or maybe the Chiefs are slightly downgraded. But. In this game, it is the Chiefs. Like, the Bengals, and, and I don't mean this to say, like, the Chiefs' D-line is better than the Bengals' D-line. I'm talking about the individual matchup. So, if you're talking about the Chiefs' D-line going up against the Bengals' offensive line, the Chiefs' D-line obviously has an edge. The Bengals' offensive line is bad. They give yeah. up nine sacks. I don't know how they won a game giving up nine sacks to the Titans. I guess that's the Ryan Tannehill three interception factor. Um, but the Chiefs' defensive line should be able to manhandle this game. And then on the flip side... Bengals do have a, a good defensive line, so maybe that's more of a wash. But the Chiefs' offensive line, I thought, played really well against the Bills last week. You paid this offensive line. They're coming together. This is what the moment is for. I feel like they have the advantage in the trenches. I just, again, advantage in the trenches, advantage with Patrick Mahomes, advantage with the coach, advantage with home field advantage, advantage for uh, the revenge factor. You lost to them last time. Advantage just, from experience in the playoffs. I just can't help but shake exactly. the last matchup and Jamar freaking chase. Yeah, and, and going nuts. And Joe Burrow being really, really good. Yeah. And it, not it, getting startled by the moment. I agree completely. He 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 steps up, man. He's really good um in, in these moments. And and but look, another thing to go back to, and there's a yeah but there too. You could say the Bengals, their last, I think, eight games have really like I think three or Five or six of the last eight games, they've really struggled on offense. And but the immediate yeah, but is okay. Yeah, but one of those games where they didn't struggle was against the Chiefs. Um, I do think a, so much had to go right for the Bengals to beat the Chiefs by three points. Mm-hmm. Um, but they still beat the Chiefs. And and it it. But then look, I I can knowing me and knowing you as well as I do, Derek. If the if the Chiefs had won that game by twenty in Cincinnati. We'd, we'd be using that as a reason to be nervous about Sunday. We'd be going, yeah, but the yeah. Bengals are coming for revenge. So it's it's so hard to, I don't know, a lot the, a lot of things look good for the Chiefs, but I, I think you and me are just both the type that we just get nervous about these things. He's Adam Dravetta. I'm Derek Johnson. Again, you can hear all that action this weekend here on KLWN. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, Rock Chalk pick a hawk. After that, Landon Lucas. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the Best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com, and we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Joined now by Landon Lucas, former KU big man and the Glue Guys podcast. You should check that out. It's on the field of 68. Landon's been doing really good work over there. So you were part of three different KU Kentucky matchups. 
Um, I kind of want to go through all three individually real quick because I think they all have some sort of significance in some way. The first one was probably the the one you least enjoyed. It was the 2014 <laughs> Champions Classic against that Kentucky team that was, I mean, Devin Booker was coming off the bench. They uh, almost went undefeated that year. And after the game, I don't know if you guys talked about this as players, but it was the Bill Self uh, vodka joke game. <laughs> Uh, what was what was that like, kind of playing against that Kentucky team? Uh, well, you know, I I think that there was obviously a ton of talent on that team, um, and it was a combination of talent on their side, and I think that we were just a little unprepared on our side. Um, you know, I, if I remember right, it was a little closer throughout the game than the, the finishing score, but, yeah, I mean, I, I believe that was probably my worst loss uh, ever uh, in, in basketball, and uh, yeah, the quote from Coach Self is the the highlight of that that whole game for sure. But I I, I try to forget about that first one. <laughs> Yeah, I think that was Bill Self's worst ever loss at Kansas until this past year in the second round against uh, USC. So 2016, you guys host Kentucky in Allen Fieldhouse, and I'm pretty sure that's the game the rules of basketball were brought in, although that might have been during halftime when you were in the locker room. But you guys win 90-84 to in overtime. I, I could have sworn that was a game where, where Bill Self brought out like a triangle and two at the end of that game against with the two on, on Jamal Murray and, and Tyler Uless. So I'm kind of curious because um, I, I, I'm wondering if this could be a type of game where you bring out a junk defense, as, as Bill Self refers to it as. We saw it against Kansas State. We saw it a little bit um, in, in some of the past games to where – you know, they have these two good guards on the outside. They have this really good big man inside. Uh, what is that like? Like, is that something that they're preparing you for as a staff, or is that something that's just kind of coming on the whim where it's like, you know, during a timeout, hey, we're going to try out this defense? Um, you know, we practice it a lot, and that's something we actually did, uh, I, I think, the last two times we played uh, Kentucky. And um, it, it's effective for sure. I think the biggest problem that you may see with it. Um, if they go to it this this coming weekend, um, is the the big man inside and rebounding because there is you know a lack of you know a, a man assignment uh, with the three inside, and so you really have to make sure you get a body on their big, and you know that could kind of take away from it if if you know he's getting a ton of offensive rebounds, it may be tough to go to something like that. But knowing Coach Self, I'm pretty sure he's, you know, he has something up his sleeve if they need to go to a different kind of defense. And um, it, it definitely, in both games that we used it against them, slowed them down and just kind of froze them a little bit. And, you know, that's the goal of it. And I think that if he does bring it out, it will be just a timeout adjustment and something that they've worked on in practice and should be, you know, uh, effective if, if they go to, um, you know, switching it up at least for a few possessions. And then the last meeting you had with Kentucky, this this was my favorite to watch, was the one in Rupp. Um, Darren Fox, Malik Monk, Bam Adebayo, ever heard of them? Those are three legit pros. I mean, talk about a loaded NBA team. You guys got behind early, slowly worked back, eventually you win the game. And in that one, you were matched up with Bam Adebayo, who's gone on to you know make all these all-star games in the NBA. You hold him to three of seven from the field. You, meanwhile, had 13 points on six of six. You had five rebounds. You actually fouled out of that game. Uh, what do you remember most from, from that one in Rupp? Uh, what I remember most is the lead up to it because I, I, I mean, I just remember 
Bam was on an absolute tear. I, I think he was averaging 30-plus in, in league in the first few games of the SEC. And uh, all I remember is just all the talk and all the game day talking about how he, you know, was going to go off. And we were missing um, Carlton that game, which was really our, our main backup big. Um, we didn't have a ton of depth down, down low. So, you know, it was try not to get in foul trouble while guarding this, uh, you know, guy who's, you know, been a monster down low. And I, I, I love that kind of challenge. And so, um, you know, I believe that of those few shots he made, uh, maybe a couple were on me because I had to give it up because I couldn't foul. But for the most part, I held him in check. And, and then that was a game where uh, I believe it was Josh Jackson who just, uh, you know, showed out. Um, and how fun it is to go into a place like Rupp and, and just quiet the crowd and, and uh, you know, leave there with the dub. Well, I think it's a it's a good, you know, I don't know, lesson or, or something that can be taken away from that for going into this game. I, I remember I couldn't remember if this was a quote from you after the game or, or from Bill Self, but said something along the lines of, you know, you can always get two points back, but you can't get another foul back in regards to mm-hmm. because yeah. things kind of thinned out there. And, and I, you know, with this game, Oscar Shibway, who's just this physical beast, averaging sixteen and fifteen a game. And Dave has done a good job of, of kind of avoiding foul trouble this year. But I, I just wonder, you know, because I, I like the potential of some of these other bigs for KU. I think Mitch Lightfoot is doing a really good job as, as the backup big. But I just wonder how well any of these guys match up specifically with Oscar Shibway to where, you know, there is going to be, I think, a lot of pressure on Dave to perform in this game. And I think he can probably take some lessons that you had in that same game against Bam Adebayo. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's just, you know, that, that uh, split-second decision type stuff. I remember the, the one time that stood out to me, um, I, I think they even mentioned it on air, too, was uh, I, I he got the ball on the block. I played good defense. He missed the shot, but the rebound came right back to him, and I was buried under the hoop at that point. Um, and, you know, there, there's no point in picking up a foul there. And, you know, at that point in time in the game, I believe I had three. You know, you just okay, just keeping your hands straight up, you know, make it as tough as you can, but understanding that those two points um, are are not as important as me having to go sit down for, you know, six, seven minutes on the bench in a crucial time in the game. So I think understanding that's big. Um, I do have uh, some confidence in, in uh, you know, Mitch and KJ to be able to come and give some minutes if needed. So, you know, I think that, you know, uh, if David comes out aggressive, um, that's the best thing for the team. And then, you know, obviously, as the game goes later into it, uh, making sure that he's just making some, some smart decisions in the second half is important. But if they need to go to the bench, uh, you know, those guys can come in and, and give their fouls. Those are, those are the fouls you want is, you know, with, with KJ and with Mitch. Use those up. Be physical. Um, you know, and then uh, hopefully David can uh, play a good chunk of minutes and then we get to David that – uh, Kansas fans love in, in those big big games that he's playing. I don't know how much you saw of, of KJ's play in the last game against Texas Tech, but he's he's not you know he's he's basically a three man playing the five um, at six foot seven, but he's so strong and, and has the muscle. Yeah. Like, do you think he is a a good possible matchup as, as somebody to come off the bench when they need those minutes? I think so, and I'll, I'll tell you why. I mean, as a, a big man who uh, is a 
you know, I, I was offensive-minded, uh, rebounding. Uh, you know, that's I, I would go after offensive boards a lot. And the hardest matchup was one of those little strong bigs who would almost uh, face block you out. And, and I, I had it happen to me a few times, um, you know, especially my senior year when I was getting a, a good amount of offensive rebounds. And that was like his job. And that's what I would have KJ do is not even almost worry about getting the actual rebound, just making sure you're moving him out of the way. And if he does that, I mean, it, it makes it really difficult um, as a big, obviously, because you have a guy who's pretty much assigned to just uh, making sure you don't get the rebound. And if, if he comes into the game and does that, um, and then the other guys come in and clean up the boards, which, you know, guys like Christian and guys like uh, Ochai, they're more than capable of doing that. Um, I, I think it could be very effective against him. And then making sure he's just beating him to spots, you know, while they run down the court um, and, and trying to get in good position. Um, he's capable of doing it. He showed it in the, you know, in the double overtime. Um, and I think that he could provide some really good minutes off the bench uh, tomorrow as well. When I think of Dave's best games, they've they've seemingly come against like traditional bigs, which I think would be a good thing against Oscar Sheboy. But um, and there there have been some games where maybe the inconsistencies have happened, where maybe they're smaller teams, and you go into the game and say, yeah, but this center's only six seven or six eight, but they just play a different style of defense and they trap and, and double in the post and everything. Is that kind of a, a misconception almost that sometimes it can, you know, you just get caught up in like the height of the center that you're going up against or whatnot. And that actually, or, uh, you know, there can be benefits to just playing a, a, another traditional big down low in terms of not having to do all these different things like guard ball screens or switch or get doubled or whatnot in the post. Hundred percent. You know, I, I think that that's something that I was comfortable with as well. And um, you know, I I think David's similar in that way. And um, I I could see this being a, a good game for him um, for sure. And and he just has to make sure he goes out there and plays physical um, from the jump. Uh, you know, letting him know that uh, he's ready to go down there and bang. And um, if he does that, then uh, and establishes himself, I think he'll get comfortable in the game. I doubt that they bring too many, like, you know, major traps. I doubt that this guy is picking popping. So he's, he's really saving a lot. Um, of having to worry about those things that maybe if you have an undersized big, you have to worry about. And he can just focus on, you know, the things he's used to and the things that bigs do. And so um, I could see this being a, a potentially, you know, a good matchup for him. And if he takes it, you know, um, very you know, personal and, and makes this a, you know, competition, um, you know, with uh, big man versus big man, then I think uh, it'll be a fun one for him and uh, he should do well. You know, people are are really curious what the heck is going on with the whole Remy Martin situation here, and I know that's been a big topic of discussion among KU fans. And and you've seen talented players before, maybe I don't know, be in the the I guess I don't know what the term the Bill Self doghouse. Um, and, and I don't know if if that's even the case with Remy. Like I, I don't know if he's there, but um, when you watch KU or when you see a player of of his abilities, maybe not get as much time as he would have thought maybe before the season, what's the first thing that comes to mind about what do you think self is looking to get out of him? Um, the first thing that would come to mind would be something that we're missing in practice. Maybe, 
Um, but, you know, from what I'm seeing on the court, he's he, especially the last game, I thought the last game he played very well. It was a good balance of, you know, distributing, which, uh, you know, Coach Rob, I had him on my podcast earlier uh, this season, and he was saying that he was kind of getting caught up going into games uh, predetermining how he was going to play. You know, I'm going to get X amount of assists tonight or whatnot. And I think that the last game he showed a good balance between being aggressive and also, you know, dishing out some assists. Um, but, you know, I have to trust Coach Self, and uh, while it may seem like, okay, he needs some more minutes here or there, um, you know, Coach Self really likes to win, as we all know, and hates to lose. Um, and he's, you know, at the end of the game, he's going to go with guys who at that moment he's trusting, and if he was trusting uh, somebody uh, else, uh, in spite of him, um, then I, I just got to believe that, you know, there's there's some reason to that. And I would hope that as, um, you know, the injuries and stuff start to fade away and that's kind of put on the back burner, uh, we can get some more clarity and, and see, you know, what the situation is. But coming off the injuries and uh, really last game being the first, like, you know, good good amount of minutes he's got to play for a little while, um, you know, I got to trust that there, there's some reason for it. And as the season goes deeper, um, we'll start seeing more Rumi. You know, you got to play with a, a national player of the year in, in Frank Mason and kind of a similar path as, as what Ochai Baji has taken in terms of just getting a little better every year. And then as a senior, just completely breaking out from going from what was already a really good player to now maybe the best player in the entire country. What is that like playing with a national player? I, I know that's kind of a, a silly way of asking a question like, oh, what's it like playing with this guy? But uh, I would just imagine like going in, game in, game out, you're kind of just viewing it as like, yeah, but we have that guy on our team. Yeah, I mean, it instills a, a level of confidence in the whole team, no matter what the situation, no matter who you're playing, that you have, uh, you know, probably the best player on the court uh, at each time, or at least, you know, somebody who's going to uh, be very productive most games. I mean, I can't remember too many times Frank's senior year where he didn't show up for a game or anything. And same thing, you know, with Ochai. You know, even the game that he struggled, like uh, Oklahoma, where he's not scoring, he makes some big shots there at the end. Um, so I, I think that that level of confidence is big, especially in matchups like this where you got game day, you got Kentucky. Um, and it, it's fun. You know, it's exciting to have a player like that on your team. Um, and when the games get close and, you know, tuck down the stretch, you know that you have uh, that as an option. And I think everybody feeds off that confidence. And you see it by, you know, the shots that others are hitting and, and uh, you know, the way that guys are finishing these games. And so um, it, it definitely, like I said, instills a lot of confidence. And I think that um, in a game like there is tomorrow, um, it's huge having what who I believe is the best player in the country, and I'm sure his teammates do as well. He is Landon Lucas, former KU basketball big man, led the Big 12 in rebounding his last year and uh, of the Glue Guys podcast. You can check that out on the field of 68. Landon, thank you so much for the time, man. Of course. Thanks for having me on. All right, that was Landon Lucas joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson with Adam Dravetta. One hour down. Two to go. This is RCST on KLWN. KLWN.com. Brian Haney joins the show at the top of the 5 o'clock hour. Coming up, we will let you hear in from Bill Self. Spoke to the media earlier today. We've got to get to our game picks and our NFL playoff fantasy draft. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. 
Half past four, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We got a loaded weekend of NFL football on Championship Sunday, which you can hear right here on KLWN. We got KU Kentucky tomorrow, which you can also hear right here on KLWN and all throughout the day, college basketball, the Big 12 SEC Challenge. Pretty cool stuff. Um, we don't have official lines for college basketball yet. They don't uh, come out till like morning of. They're it kind bothers of me so much. I mean, Ken Palm like has stuff out, and and like I understand if a team was playing on Thursday or Friday, and then they have to play again Saturday. But it's like Kansas last played on Monday. Kentucky last played on what Tuesday or Wednesday. And then when you look at come up with the line. When you look at how often the Vegas lines turn out to be really similar to Ken Palm, I know. it's like just do it. Well, so here's what we're gonna do. We're just gonna take the Ken Palm lines and we're gonna pick every game. I would say it's, it's three, isn't it, for Kansas for Kentucky? Kentucky. Yeah, I would say what, yeah. I would say it's probably gonna. I, I would if I had to guess. I bet you that I would one say is a little closer. I would say it's minus two. Yeah, because Vegas is also applying two. what they think they can get the most even money. Yeah. And if they give it three, I think too many people will back Kentucky. So I, I bet agree. you it's I think two. it's KU minus two. Okay, let's start with the NFL, though. You are 43 and 41. I'm 57 and 42. I hate that record. First up, Cincinnati at Kansas City. The Chiefs are giving up seven points. I think the Chiefs, I'm going to say, they're just in, in any other situation. I always say home field advantage, better coach, better quarterback. Seven points is a heap. But I, I'm telling you, I just in any of it's like I said in the opening, if this was any other team besides the Chiefs, and because I'm so, um, because I'm so worried about you know the Chiefs and and I just get so neurotic about my teams, um, it's just like I don't know. I mean, but I am I'm I don't know. I'm going to go to the Chiefs because if it were any other team, I would think uh, just looking at it from that standpoint, I think that team wins by by double digits. Um so because of that, I'm taking the the Chiefs minus the points. I'm just so worried about the uh that that factor of the letdown after the divisional game and the emotional high you just rode of one of the greatest NFL playoff games of all time and uh trying to overcome that the next week is tough. Now uh, to the Chiefs' credit, like they overcame a, a close, tight win that you had to pull out at the end last year in the division round by beating the Browns. Um, the year before, you didn't really have that with the Colts. Um, am I missing? No, no. The year before was the Texans, and they That's did. Right. They had so it was, and you overcame it, it, that. It was too. an yes, but it was like they had that game won by like the fourth quarter, right. the Texans game. So I, that scares me a lot. I think that at the very least, it is a close game. I, I don't think this is a seven point line. I, I was surprised when I saw that. I thought it should be closer to three or four points. Cincinnati, I, I don't know what the answer is to stopping Jamar Chase. Joe Burrow is so freaking good. He's not going to be bothered by the moment. Cincinnati's defense is good enough that. You know, uh, like they stopped Kansas City without points, right? In the final three drives, or maybe the Chiefs had three points in the final three drives. Yeah, that game in the second they, half. Kansas City really had trouble in the second half. That is true in that game in Cincinnati. So I'm going to go with the uh, Bengals plus the seven here. The over under of that said game is 54 and a half. Uh, first off, I, I do want to say we, all of us, I'm including myself here, we around here need to re- revisit the way we say the name of their team. I say a lot. I say too much. I say bangles, mm-hmm. but it should be bengals because of how it's spelled. And I, I'm, I'm a, a, but anyway, I noticed that I say that very poorly. Um, so apologize to you and your disgusting skyline chili. Over under, you said 54? 54 and a half, yeah. 54 and a half. So that's something like a, so they're basically thinking like a 31 to 24 type game. 
um, with that line and that over under. Um, give me. Give me the over because I can see it being like 35-21. Yeah, what you said, it'd be 31-24. That would be what they're expecting. I think the Bengals score more than 24 points, so I'm, I'm going to take the over on that as well. San Francisco is at the Rams of L.A. The uh, fighting Sean McVay's are minus three and a half. Um, this is a weird one because everything says you should pick the Rams, but uh, it's kind of weird. Back in the day when there were more teams in each division and they only had a East, West, and Central, rather than four teams in the AFC and the or four four divisions in each conference, and so you, it was more common for divisional opponents to play each other again in the playoffs. If a team, the argument is always like, man, it's hard to beat a team three times in in a season. But that team who had won the first two, there was a pattern there for they usually did really well in, mm-hmm. in matchup three. Yeah, they actually um, win more than the team trying to win for the first time. Yeah, so I, for that reason, but I again. I'm going to go better. It's going to be a look. I think 50% of the tickets, 45% of the tickets have been sold to 49ers fans on the second night with Derry Mark, or at least are coming from Northern California. So you presume our Niners fans there on the secondary market. Um, I'm going to, but again, I'll say better quarterback. I don't think better. I think the coach matchup is actually pretty even, but I, I'll give it to the Rams. I'll say they win by, and I think they win by at least a, a field goal. Niners have won six in a row against the Rams, um, so it's not just the two this year. I think that has more to do with them. Just, I, I don't think it's like like I've seen it coined by some people like, oh, Kyle Shanahan owns Sean McVay. I don't think like this isn't Waterboy where uh, the character play the, yeah, the, the bad coach played guy. by Henry Winkler is like afraid to yeah. coach against the other coach. Like that's, that's not how this he is. He stole his playbook. No, that's not how this is. Uh, I, I think it's just a. Style thing like the 49ers, whatever styles make their fights. way of play, right? Like yeah. that, that just happens to work well against the Rams. I kind of think the Rams actually get over the hump this time, but I think it's a close game. I think it's a three point game, and I actually I, I still could see the 49ers winning it, so I'll kind of hedge it there. And because I think at the very least, even if the Rams do, it is a, a close, lower scoring game that um is won at the last moment. I'm gonna take the 49ers getting the three and a half points if this was Rams minus two and a half I would I would second guess myself a little bit here I'll say this uh, Garoppolo has been in this moment before Matt Stafford is not and I know Stafford's the better quarterback but it's worth something okay San Francisco LA Rams the over-unders 45 and a half <laughs> Gosh dang it! So they're I was basically hoping, expecting a twenty-four, twenty-one game, and I was hoping you'd say it was it was in like the fifties because it'd be so easy to take the under there. Why would I think it would be there? Because it's clear it, it's going to be a low-scoring game. Um, give me the under. I guess I don't feel great about that. Um, but I, yeah, give me the under. I have the under too. Um, I don't think like the Rams have a really good defense and. The 49ers, even despite beating the Packers, it wasn't because their offense. Uh, they had the special teams, the the field goal or the the pump block um, to score the touchdown, which was their lone touchdown of the game. I don't think the 49ers are going to have a huge offensive game, but I, I really like the way the 49ers defense is playing right now, and I think they can limit the Rams as they have kind of done over these last handful of meetings. And My, it, it is, yeah, 17-14 feels way more likely than 38-35. Agreed. Uh, my lock of the week, I'm just going to double down on Cincinnati plus seven. I, I really, really think that's just way too many points. I, like, but even what, if, about the, what about the rule of Vegas, I'm not knows, discounting, Vegas knows something? 
I get that. That's very true. I, I'm not discounting the fact that I don't think the Chiefs could win. I just, I have a hard time seeing because um, I, I've even seen like the stat of the Chiefs playing a team under the Patrick Mahomes era a second time after they lost the first time. And I think they're like six and one when that happens. So like the Patriots, they win most of the, the only games. loss. Yes. The Patriots only loss in, in overtime in the AFC championship. But like most of those other games, even though they won, they were close games. Were they? Like they lost to the Raiders at home last year. And they beat them in Vegas, but it was 31, 31 yeah, in a close the, game. The one to Kelsey at the end. They lost to the Bills this year. I'll say I mean, this. That was a close game at the end, right? Yes, like, uh, I'll say this. Chargers the, lost this year. They had to win in overtime the second game. The so other side of that is one of, the, one of the examples of a time, and I agree completely with what you're saying, but one of the... For whatever you know, for whatever this is worth, which could be nothing, because this was two years ago, and, and the teams are very different now. Um, one of the examples of them of them handily winning against a team that beat them earlier in the year was the Titans in the AFC Championship, a team that they had lost to by three on the road, and a team in a game where some stuff had to go wrong. I I still just think like I I view this as either the Bengals win or the Chiefs win a close game. I'm. I, I do think there is a world out there where the Chiefs can win big, so I'm not discounting that. Well, I just think those said, are the most likely things. Was it on the air or was it during our, our when we were prepping before the show that you said the the third most likely scenario that you think Chiefs close is the most likely, mm-hmm. Bengals close is the second most yeah. likely, Chiefs blowout is the third most likely. Yes, that's exactly what I said. But I think those first two are more, like, are more yeah, likely yeah, yeah. than right, like, the like rest. Number one and number two are closer to the uh, to each other than two to three. Than the field, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's so fair. That, that's what I'll go with. Bengals doubling down to plus seven. Um, okay, on to college basketball. We have limited picks because, again, it's, it's hard to get lines, so we're just steering into the Ken Palm uh, sports book of lines here. You are 2-0. I'm 0-2. Kentucky at Kansas. Jayhawks are giving up three points. I'm golly. I'm gonna. I'm gonna lean. I hate that. I would never bet this game. I'm gonna lean Kentucky though. Yeah, I. I feel like such a pessimist this week. I'm picking Kentucky. Picking Cincinnati. I just. I'm, I'm very worried for Kansas about those matchups. The the center down low. You've had inconsistencies. Oscar Sheboy's a beast. I'm worried about. Kentucky has two really good lead guards. Well, Kansas, that's kind of been a question right now. Yeah, you you can find mismatches in favor of both teams, but I will say this: I'm sticking with Kentucky. But we it, we we said earlier this week sometimes self against top teams is is freakish. He's a freak. Like how much better he is, and KU's really good than anybody home, right? else against top ten teams. And and Kentucky's not top ten in the AP poll, but they're still very. It's bananas how good he is against anyway. But I, I yeah, I'm sticking with Kentucky. Okay, uh, the next one. This is a pretty big one. Baylor minus four at Alabama. That's a really good line. Um, I'm actually gonna go. What what's Bama's ranked right rank right now? I don't know what their AP rank. I I haven't done a good job keeping up with AP. I just look at like Ken, Ken Palm. Palm. What are they on why. Ken Palm? Uh, they're 19th on Ken Palm. Baylor is second. And 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 Baylor's getting four, giving up four. Oh, well then yeah, but give it's me, in Alabama. Then give me Alabama. Okay, okay. I thought Bay- I thought Baylor was. I thought Alabama was giving four. Um. Then yeah, well yeah, give me Alabama. I don't love that, but yeah, Baylor's just so balanced. The thing with They're Alabama, really their offense has these games where they'll just hit a bunch of threes. They they kind of very much prescribe to. I mean, Nate Oates is a former math teacher, and they prescribe to this like no mid range shots. They do these scrimmages in practice where like threes are worth extra, mid range are worth less, and then like layups and dunks are worth like the most. And it, it just trains them to play like that. And I think, which for the record, keep an eye. 
even though he hasn't made a Final Four yet, keep an eye on Nate Oates to go to the NBA. Because he's, he's really good. Like, I think, honestly, standpoint. for me, if, if Bill Self were to go to the NBA or something right now, He'd like Nate, Nate Oates, Oates would probably be my, my number I, one I option. I think Nate Oates will be a hot commodity for NBA. That's another story for another day. But uh, nonetheless, the Alabama offense can get hit really hot. And, and with Baylor, they play, uh, again, kind of that no-middles defense, and they play really good defense. You're going to have to have like a good shooting game. I think Alabama is um, actually adept at being able to do that. Now, the funny thing is Alabama's only shooting 31% from three. They haven't been very good overall from three-point range, but they have potential of certain games where they have high outputs. I think they're going to be juiced up. I could see this being one of those games. I am worried that the Alabama defense would get torched, but I think getting four points at home, I'll take Alabama in this one. Uh Mike Leach Bowl and a rematch of the actual bowl game. Mississippi State at Texas Tech. The Red Raiders are giving up eight. Um, I, I, I don't know that Mississippi State can score enough in this game. So I'll, where's the game? Lubbock. Lubbock. Yeah. Uh, give me the Red Raiders because I can really see the Red Raiders winning this game like 65-51. Ah, uh, I'm gonna go with Mississippi State because of the points. I like Tech to win, but I think it's a close game. Mississippi State um, is led by Iverson Molinar, who's this really, really good point guard who's who's awesome in pick and roll and everything. Now, I can see Texas Tech taking him away, and if they do that, then it's, you know, good luck for Mississippi State. But they have a top 25 offense. I think they can uh, at least keep it close. Uh, Tennessee at Texas. The Longhorns are giving up three points. I keep Rick waiting. Barnes Bowl. Yep. I keep waiting for Texas to finally get things humming and figuring them out with Chris Beard. I still think in the long run he does, and once he gets his recruits in, um, although you know, ideally you can do that in a year now with the um, with the transfer portal. I guess I'll slightly lean Texas, but I, I Texas is for me personally they've kind of underwhelmed this year. I still think long term that was an amazing, it was a, the perfect hire for Texas. But they've kind of underwhelmed this year. But I'll lean Texas. Yeah, they really have. But the funny thing is, like, they're still fifteenth on Ken Palm. They're not yeah. like terrible. Um, this would be a really big win because, to your point, Texas has underwhelmed a little bit. That'd be huge for you to get a win over a top twenty-five Tennessee team at home. Not just for that, but also because it'd be the former coach Rick Barnes. That would that would go very well for Chris Beard. I am going to go Tennessee though. They have one of the best defenses in the country. They're fifth right now. If you take out the one Kentucky game where Kentucky just made like every single shot ever. Um, they would probably be the number one defense right now. So I, I like Tennessee going on the road and getting Rick Barnes a little revenge, especially because they're getting three points. Is the only game we have in common, KU-Kentucky? I think so. Right? No, we have Alabama. Uh, oh. LSU at TCU. Tigers are giving up four. Um, I mean, I well, Will Wade's a pretty decent coach. Um, Jamie Dixon is fine. Uh Give, give me LSU. Again, I'm not going to watch this game. but Yeah, I'll go LSU. Defense travels. They have one of the best defenses in the country. Uh, Oklahoma at Auburn. Auburn's giving up 10. Um, Number one team in the AP poll. Yeah, they're really good, and they just they, they had a big scare. I'm going to give me Auburn because I think they had such a scare against Missouri this week that they're going to be awake and alive. Walker Kessler is one of their best players. Great shot blocker, but I'll be interested to see how he plays because Tanner Groves can pull him away from the rim. I like Oklahoma plus the 10 points to keep it close. Missouri at Iowa State. Cyclones are giving up 13. Missouri's terrible. Uh, <laughs> give me the Cyclones. And, and look, I just said Missouri... But, look, Missouri's done this all year. They go, wow, they really hung with a team that they shouldn't have, and then they turn around and they lose by 1,000. So give me the cycling. My brain is saying take Missouri just because 13 is a lot for an Iowa State offense that, like, they don't score a lot of points. They might score 70, but 
I cannot, after picking against Kansas, after picking against the Chiefs, I, I can't pick Missouri, too. So I'll pick Iowa State um, just for that reason. Oklahoma State at Florida. The Gators are giving up four points. Um, Florida. I, I, I just haven't seen anything out of Oklahoma State this year that's made me go, wow. Having said that, I know nothing about Florida, but home team, uh, and it's you say there's only four points? Yeah. Yeah, Florida. I'll just agree with you on that one. Uh, West Virginia at Arkansas. Razorbacks are giving up six. Um, this is a fun one. Uh, I will probably say West Virginia because I don't know if enough points are scored. It's kind of weird because um, it's kind of the opposite of a pick I had a little bit ago. But I don't think enough points are scored in this game to have a huge separation. West Virginia's lost four straight. They need to bounce back. I'll say they will. Kansas State minus two at Ole Miss. Um, K-State. They've been fine this year. They actually, I think, have kind of overachieved in a lot of ways. I'll go Ole Miss. No really rhyme or reason. All right, those are our game picks. On to our NFL playoff fantasy draft coming up next. With Adam Dravetta, I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Chalk Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Five o'clock hour on Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Adam Dravetta. I am Derek Johnson here on KLWN. Busy weekend ahead. We've got all the AFC NFC championship games here on our stations on KLWN. And of course, as always, we got your KU action. Tomorrow, KU taking on Kentucky pregame 3.30. Tip off at five o'clock in this historic showdown. Uh, Brian, I, I don't remember... When exactly you started as the voice of the Jayhawks? Was it 2016 or 2017? It was uh, the fall of 16, the basketball spring of 2017. Okay, so would your first KU-Kentucky broadcast have been the game in Rupp? Yes, it would have. Yeah, that was a Josh Jackson game. Yes, that's right. I, well, we were just kind of reminiscing on some of our favorite KU-Kentucky memories. And, you know, we obviously brought up, I'm sure for maybe some of the older crowd, the, the 150 game against Patino would be up there. But for me, that was the game. So I'm curious, do you have a, a favorite memory or, or game of, of broadcasting in a past Kentucky matchup, whether it is in the Big 12 SEC Challenge or the Champions Classic or, or anything else? You know uh Self was joking earlier today about the atmosphere at last year's KU-Kentucky game. <laughs> and, uh, of course, that was one where we were sitting, this is during the pandemic, completely empty arena there in Indianapolis. And even though it was empty with no fans, they stuck us up in the balcony. And so <laughs> so I'm shouting as Jalen Wilson is going for a career-high 23. And I'm sure they could hear me down there because there was nobody else in between us. And it probably sounded crazy, like this rando up there just echoing down the guys on the floor. And I remember when, uh, I think that was a game that CB got teed up on a dunk. And I remember, you know, we were talking about it and we're wondering if, if Doug Sermons or whoever could hear us down there. But uh, <laughs> now, you know, that, that first one was special. And, and let me tell you what was so special about that first one as an eye-opening experience for me as the Kansas announcer. We had just beaten Kentucky in Rupp Arena, Josh Jackson had an amazing game that the Jayhawks, you know, pull out this this awesome win against a program that I know we've won four of the last five, but they still have us up pretty good, twenty three to ten in the all time series. So to me, this is a big deal, right? And and I just came from four years at Texas Tech, where we hardly ever won on the road, and so if we ever won on the road, that flight coming home 
or that bus to the airplane was just raucous and crazy and all that. And so I get on the bus after we beat Kentucky there in Lexington. And keep in mind, there's two buses. There's a team bus, and then there's a support staff bus. I'm obviously on the support staff bus. But I get on that bus expecting everybody to be hooting and hollering. And, you know, I stand up there with my chest puffed out, and I'm about ready to start giving high fives. How about that, James? You know? And, and everybody's kind of got their head down, and they're on their phones. And, and I'm like, oh, I, I guess they just expect to always win every road game. And this isn't a big deal. Obviously, to Coach Self and the players, it's a big deal. But the, the culture expectation was just such a, a stark contrast from what I just experienced for four years in Lubbock and then coming back home. And you could probably say, you know, we, we beat Duke in the Garden that year. Frank hit that big shot. That maybe was a, a slightly bigger moment for me in my first year on the call. But that was number two, and I just thought, oh, my gosh, they're going to just be, you know, ecstatic. And everybody's like, no, this is what we do. We're, we're Kansas, you know. <laughs> so that's probably what I remember more so than anything from inside the arena. I remember they had the let's get ready to rumble guy. I forget his name off the top Michael of my Buffer? head. Michael Buffer? Is that right? Very good. Yeah, very good. Uh, not to be confused with Jimmy Buffett. Many no. times they are. But, uh, but yeah, he, he had the announcement, let's get ready to rumble before the game. And I remember they had the spotlights on all the, the seven national title banners, which was really cool. But I also walked away thinking, as neat as this place is, it doesn't have even half the aura and mystique of Allen Fieldhouse. It feels like a big arena, not a historic, tradition-rich, just oozing with history type barn venue like we have. And so uh, first trip there was great. I actually have a picture of it on my wall as I, as I look at my office wall here. And Greg Gurley was wearing red pants that day with a blue blazer, and uh, he pulled it off like only Greg Gurley can. So there you go. Memories of our first trip to Rupp as a new crew. Two things, Brian. One, I, I saw those those exact pants when he when I was a student. He was kind of walking through the students as uh, ahead of the game as we were all in line. So I know the exact pants you're talking about. Um, but also, it's I love that you brought up the the pregame of it and and how different the pregame is going to be tomorrow because Allen Fieldhouse it's very um, ahead of the game. What they do is very ritualistic. It's very it, it's so apt to refer to it as the cathedral of college basketball because it is treated very much like church when people go there it it reminds me of what i heard and what i've read about um the boston garden in the 80s where the team you know the fans got the got things pumping but they didn't have they, it was nothing there was nothing artificial about what they brought into it it was all organic and 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 um and it was such a different vibe even though it was an exciting vibe it didn't have the dance club feel that a lot of other arenas have yeah, that's a great point. And and with that cathedral of college basketball metaphor, I always talk about the three stories of stained glass windows, Mario's Miracle, which is in our donor atrium. I talk about the Sistine Chapel painting that we have, which is in the hallway that leads into the men's basketball offices. And for folks that don't know, it's, it's a 40-year-old mural that they just keep adding to that John Martin has painted. And the likeness of the players' faces is just uncanny. And so, uh, you know, if, if, if this truly is the cathedral of college basketball, we got the stained glass, we, we got the great painting, and obviously we have the history and the aura and all that. And to give you kind of a funny, self-deprecating story, about how you know we don't do the NBA arena type stuff 
with with you know the let's get ready to rumble or the fire cannons or the crazy music and all that. Although I do think we may have a DJ coming tomorrow. Just as I say this now, uh, popping in the forefront of my mind. But but traditionally speaking, we we don't do those things. Uh, this is an awesome story, and, and I bet folks uh, that were longtime listeners to the early years of Rock Chalk Sports Talk might remember this. But I got to fill in for the great Hank Booth as the uh, PA voice of the Jayhawks when I was like. Oh, boy, 24 years old, maybe. It was Mario Chalmers' first career game, all right? And this is the only time Bill Self's ever really been mad at me. Now, there have been you know, <laughs> an occasional hot talk question where he gives me kind of that funny look, like, where are you coming from with that? But the only time he's ever been mad at me, and it was Mario Chalmers' first game. I'm filling in for Hank. Mario had just come down from Anchorage, Alaska, as the McDonald's All-American sharpshooter that was going to take us to great places. And none of us knew then that he'd hit the biggest shot in, in KU's history three years later. But we knew he was a pretty big deal. And right here on KLWN, we had called his McDonald's All-American game up in South Bend, Indiana, with Julian Wright and a guy named Micah Downs, who didn't last very long at Kansas, but was part of that Mickey D's class. So I knew Mario's family. I knew Ronnie well. I knew his nickname back home was Super Mario, all that. So I'm filling in, and it's not like I was trying to like make my mark or like prove that I was some great PA announcer, but I just thought, let's add a little bit of youthful pizzazz to it if Mario does something special, right? And so Mario gets the ball at the top of the key, and he puts on this crossover move, like Tim Hardaway, killer crossover, just shakes his guy off the ball like that, and then hits this teardrop floater with one hand from 14 feet straight on. It was a thing of beauty. And, and of course, as the crowd goes wild, this is his first bucket as a Jayhawk, I belt out, Super Mario <laughs> And I thought it was great. And the student section thought it was great. The crowd went wild. And there was one guy that didn't think it was great. And that was the most important guy in the building. And he turned down the line and, and he just, what the hell was that? And he gave like a throat slash signal, which I've never seen him do before, which was not him threatening to actually put my throat. It was, it was him saying, cut that crap out. And, and then somebody, he sent like a manager over who like comes over and taps me on the shoulder. Hey, um, coach didn't like it that you gave him a nickname. And I'm like, yeah, I got it from the throat flash. It's good. We won't do it again. And so then I'm like terrified for the rest of the game. because I'm like 24 <laughs> years old. Uh, and, then, and then Gary Bedore, who now is one of my dear friends in the media, he decided to like add that in his notes section to his game article the next day that there was uh, an interesting moment in the first half when full NPA announcer Brian Haney, uh, you know, drew the ire of Bill Self with a Super Mario Chalmers reference. I tell you that funny story, A, because I hope it made you smile and laugh. Absolutely. B, be that you know we don't do that stuff in Allen Fieldhouse. We're, we're not like the Detroit Pistons PA voice that remember when Ben Wallace, the Hall of Famer, used to play. Oh, he yeah. would go. I'm, I'm going to hold the phone out as I do this, so I don't sound too loud. But he, he would go. That's how he would say Ben Wallace. That was pretty good, right? Yeah, that was very good. So, the um, Detroit and, basketball guy, yeah, right? The, the, exactly. Yeah. Or, or the, the, the Chicago Bulls with that uh, with that song by Alan Parsons Project that they always did through the '90s with the Michael oh, Jordan. Yeah, with, yeah the, I, the closest thing, and this is this was I love because it was organic. One thing that that fans and it they did do, but it, it was fan oriented and it was it grew very organically through the fans was with that same group 
the PA announcer would say, you know, it's to say the town they're from. New in Russell Robinson from New York, New York. The, yes. the, the students. They got to the point where the students would always yell the second New York when Russell Robinson <laughs> was introduced, and I loved it. That was that was Hank Booth, and that was his signature thing above all else. It was the Russell Robinson New York, New York. But that's that's about as far as we would go in in something that was. You know, NBA arena type. Everything else was very much by the book and old school, and still is to this day, by and large. But uh, but yeah, that's that's a fun story that, that shows you we don't do that kind of stuff at Kansas. We uh, we stick to what works and what's got us here over the last 100 plus years, and and uh, that's probably the way it should be. Have you had a chance to like catch up with Mario since then and, and ask him about his thoughts if he even remembers that? I guarantee you he didn't even hear it because Probably not. those those guys they're so in the zone you'll you'll talk to guys afterwards and say did you hear when I guess unless you're Christian Brown and you're engaging with the front <laughs> row at Oklahoma they they usually don't hear what's going on around the arena one of these days I'll have to bring that up because uh the coach self and I obviously have a tremendous relationship now and I consider him you know one of my great mentors in, in the business but that night he did not like me giving Mario a nickname and, and that just goes to show you you don't do that stuff at the same balance field that's great we're talking with the voice of the jayhawks brian haney so uh with that game tomorrow what do you think is is going to be the biggest challenge for ku taking on kentucky at uh, five o'clock well both literally and figuratively the biggest challenge is number 34 and we've seen him before david mccormick has seen him back to his prep days Oscar Shibway is an absolute monster, and uh, how Kansas combats him as one of the best defensive and offensive rebounders we've ever seen, and how they combat him offensively, a guy that goes for 16 a game, 15 boards, shoots 61%, I mean, that, that's going to tell the tale of a lot of this. It's not the only matchup, there's a lot of good ones, and you know, we don't know about Ty, Ty Washington's status at the time of, of this conversation, but you know he, he's going to be a guy that, that brings first-round draft pick, lottery pick type athleticism and and prowess to the table. Sophia Wheeler is a guy that has stepped in from Georgia and, and has the ability to push tempo and get the ball the full 94 feet in the blink of an eye and really distribute well as the number three assist player in the country. And so, you know, how, how Harris and company handle him will be interesting. Yeah, the, the wing matchups in this one I think are fascinating. And, and I know you guys were, were talking about it yesterday because I followed Derek and, and, and you guys on Twitter, but uh, looking at, at some of the particular defensive matchups that could be affected by the health of, of this dinged-up Kentucky team is going to be interesting to see Jacob Toppin's status, obviously Washington's status, what that means for who guards who on the perimeter and all of that is going to be really interesting. But to me, just just knowing the history, the personal history between Chibwe and McCormick, uh, the fact that Chibwe comes in with all the hype, David you know, doesn't have nearly the hype, but this one's going to mean a ton to him. And and we've seen him perform well in some matchups where the opposition has a traditional big man uh, as opposed to chasing around a little guy. And so I'll be interested to see what that looks like. It's it's not the only one that matters, but but I think it's going to tell the tale in, in, in a long um, conversation tomorrow as, as to what ultimately happens in this matchup between Kansas and Kentucky. I think that, uh, you know, for Kansas, if you win this one, it's it's a huge feather in your postseason resume. I saw Joe Lenardi write today that, you know, they've wiggled their way back onto the one line, he said. And if you win this one, then 
long as you split with Baylor, he thinks Kansas stays on the one line come Selection Sunday. If you don't win this one, Lenardi thought you might have to sweep Baylor to stay on the one line. I don't know if that's true necessarily. I think it depends on how you do versus Texas and the rest of your Big 12 schedule. If Kansas wins the Big 12 outright, they should be on the one line no matter what happens tomorrow. But Lenardi's point was it's, it's a resume opportunity that, that would give you some extra uh, wiggle room or extra, you know, credibility in, in what you did overall if you had this one in your back pocket. Because it's not just a great non-con win, it's a great non-con win that's almost in the month of February, you know, which, which in the eyes of the committee looks a lot better than something you did on opening night, you know, at Madison Square Garden four months ago. So that, that to me, I thought was significant in what he wrote about the game. But I'm excited to see it. I, I think that, you know, we've obviously been spoiled with all these last-second finishes. And Derek, as a play-by-play guy, you know you're lucky to get maybe one of those in a given season. And we've had four of them in a five-game stretch. And I think about our next four games on the schedule, going to Ames on Tuesday, you get Texas and Baylor after that. I mean, any of these next four, could come down in the last shot as well, including tomorrow. So good news is we got a capable group of guys that have proven not just capable of taking and making the big shot, but equally capable of getting that big stop on the other end in crunch time. And as we talked about on previous reports, I love the fact that we have as many as five guys that would want the ball in their hands in those instances where it's all up to them. And so super pumped about that. And then, you know, the last preview I give you is, talked about Chibwe. We haven't talked a ton about Oach, but I mean, you got two of the top four player of the year, you know, candidates right now going toe to toe. The Athletic had an article this week that listed Johnny Davis of Wisconsin number one, Drew Timmy number two, Abaji number three, and Chibwe number four. That was out on Monday before the 37-point game out of Oach. I think he would be vaulted to number one as we sit here today. And tomorrow morning for an hour, they're going to be talking about this place and their star player and how great Ochai is. And he's going to have the stage set to deliver again with all the nation watching. And, and that was what's so big about the performance the other night. It was big Monday. It was double overtime. People that didn't set out to watch the game found themselves watching it because it was still going at 1040 at night. And and then he turned in this, this heroic performance, including the biggest shot of his career with all eyes watching. It's why that performance was twice as valuable as what he did at Kansas State in terms of his national candidacy as player of the year because that was a, an ESPN Plus telecast. It was buried in a big sports weekend. You didn't have, you know, the, the standalone spotlight and platform that Monday gave. Well, tomorrow, you know, outside of the Baylor game, tomorrow will be as good of a platform as he has all year, and, and maybe better than the Baylor game, quite frankly, just based on ESPN game day. If Otai goes out there, and though he plays a different position entirely and they're not going to be matched up on each other, but if he outsides Seaboy and Kansas gets the win, I mean, you really start to gain some traction and get a little bit of separation atop that player of the year debate. And, and wouldn't that be special? Because as we discussed, couldn't happen to a better kid. So believe me, we're all pulling for that. And, and no matter who the star is tomorrow, anytime you can inch a little bit closer to Kentucky in the all-time wins chase, and in that all-time head-to-head, I hate it that these guys are 13 games better than us in the all-time head-to-head. That's just nuts. Anybody else of the 10 other teams that have a winning record over us that have played at least five games against us, anybody else, it's like 10 to 8 UCLA or 8 to 5 Duke or 7 to 6 Indiana or 6 to 5 UNC. 
Kentucky's twenty-three to ten sticks out like three sore thumbs. So let's let's keep whittling away at that. We won four or five. Let's make it five and six, and slowly but surely get that thing back to even. He is Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks. Brian, before we let you go, real quick, one last thing with Adam. All right, Brian, one last thing. KU has a sponsorship deal with Wendy's, but three recruits were just named to the McDonald's All-American game. Big Mac or Baconator? Which do you prefer? <laughs> That's a great question. I love it. And I am contractually obligated to tell you that I love the <laughs> breakfast Baconator. You know, the, two, $2 after every KU win, you show up the next morning at any participating, uh, almost at McDonald's, any participating Wendy's in Salina, Topeka, Kansas City, or Lawrence, you can get a breakfast Baconator for just $2. And any breakfast sandwich purchase gets you anything you want in a Wendy's cup for free. That's what I'm contractually obligated to tell you. So it's Baconators all the way, baby. So you, if, you, if you go to the game at Allen Fieldhouse tomorrow night, grab yourself a breakfast Baconator when you're on the way to Arrowhead on Sunday, right? Exactly. And then and then show up right now as we speak on the front lawn of the Fieldhouse, and you can get a free Baconator, free Frosty, free fries. It's all going on as we speak. And they're going to fire it up again tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. They've got a big tent set up out there. There's, there's some games and giveaways. But uh, if you've heard about these people that like to dip their fries in their Frosty and you've never been brave enough to try it yourself, well, now you have no excuse to not try it because it's free. You might as well give it a shot as we speak right now on the front lawn of 1651 Naismith Drive. There we go. Well, Brian, thanks again for the time. And a uh, quick message about uh, Nate Miller retirement. Yeah, that's right. My main man, Nate Miller, just like the Jayhawks, need a game plan to beat Kentucky tomorrow. You need a game plan for your retirement. He would love to sit down with you and make some great investment decisions for your financial future. So check him out today at MillerRetirementGroup.com. That's MillerRetirementGroup.com, and they'll get you that game plan, just like Coach Self is drawing up for the Jayhawks. Always a pleasure, fellas. You're super, and I can say that here without getting in trouble. Super Derek Johnson, Super Adam Gravetta. Hope you enjoyed that story, and we'll see you guys tomorrow in the fog. All right, Brian, thanks again, man. And uh, Adam, get that disclaimer loaded up, ready to go. Go ahead and cue the disclaimer here. Brian is a paid spokesperson, not a client. Brian does not endorse, and all individuals should make their own evaluation of the firm's investment advisory and insurance services. Investment advisory services offered only by duly registered individuals through AE Wealth Management, LLC. Thanks again. Thanks, fellas. All right, that's Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, klwn.com, the KLWN app. Depend on it.